I'm at the IHI's National Forum on Quality Improvement in Healthcare, and I'm with Dr. Kimberly Dawn Wisdom from Henry Ford. Dr. Wisdom is the Senior Vice President for Community Health and Equity and the Chief Wellness and Diversity Officer. Welcome, Dr. Wisdom. Great. I'm delighted to be here. You've been a leader for many years and taken on many different leadership roles. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and any particular lesson you'd like to share? Sure. Well, I think a key part of leadership is really connecting to your purpose, what you're here on this earth to do, who you're here to serve. So I feel very fortunate because at the age of 14, I was able to very clearly identify um, what my purpose was and is. and. I feel like I've been doing the same thing, I'm doing the same thing now that I was doing when I was 14 years old. So I feel very blessed in that respect. So what I'd like to share with you is at the age of 14, um, I wanted to learn how to swim and went to my local YWCA. Now I'm from Mystic, Connecticut, so I was in New London, uh, not a very diverse community. But very near the water. Very near the water, exactly. So the need to swim was was relevant. So. I joined the YWCA, and one of the first things I did was attend a summer camp, because I was gonna go learn how to swim. Well, after a couple days at that camp, I went to my room, and my clothes were thrown on the floor, out of the drawers. I couldn't understand what was going on. I investigated, went to another, a few more colleagues' rooms, and found out their clothes were on the floor as well. I was outraged. I was wondering what was going on. Well, lo and behold, it became very clear that they were looking in the students of color. Uh, they were looking for drugs. Well, I was incensed. I had not been exposed to drugs. I um, had no interest in using any substances of any sort. So I figured, okay, I'm going to take that real concern, real um, outrage, and I'm going to package it in a way to do something productive. So I went back to my Y in uh, New London and talked with my counselor, shared with her what happened and said that we need to do something about this. She said, okay, I will help you work through a strategy, a plan. Mm -hmm. So our plan was to go to the National YWCA during the time that they were having a board meeting and picket the YWCA. Oh my, a Take a, a protest. <laughs> so I organized my friends, mm -hmm. my, my, my seniors, some were 15, 16, some were younger. We organized and we took this two hour trip to 600 Lexington Avenue to visit the y National YWCA. New York City. New York City, big for us. You know, 14 years old, it was a big city. So uh, we got our, made our picket signs and went and demonstrated in front of the Y. Well, very interestingly enough, uh, Dorothy Height, major civil rights leader, was the chair of the board at the time. She invited the, the, the rabble rouser, the spokesperson for this group, up to speak to the board. That was me. I had the privilege of, of addressing the board that had Mary Rockefeller, Ruth Bunch, a few other notable um, luminaries. And of course, I didn't know who they were at the time, but I um, shared the story and said how outraged I was and I was prepared to do something about it in a very constructive way. So they asked me to serve ex officio on the board and attend meetings and within probably six months or maybe eight months, I was able to be elected to a national post um, as a one of the Y youth team leaders and representing one of the four regions across the United States. So it came, became very clear to me then 
that my role, my purpose was to uh, be a voice, be an advocate, be a bridge, and help address inequities. I didn't know that word at the time, but to address inequities and injustices. And that's just one example that was racial and ethnic, but also in, 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 in school, in my um, uh, elementary school, I was always trying to, the students that were maybe not as fast as the other students, I was always trying to advocate for them, tutor them in the back of the room. Very upsetting to the teachers, mm -hmm. and, my, mm -hmm. and my mother got called up to the school mm -hmm. quite often. Mm -hmm. But it was that I needed to be that bridge. I needed to, to, to reconcile as much as I could those injustices. So even now, when I think about leadership, I think about identifying a gap, identifying a problem that really disturbs you, developing some sort of strategy, some sort of a vision, um, as I did with my, with my counselor at the Y, and then moving forward to see what kind of how, what role you could play in solving the problem. So to me, that's my probably most um, life-defining leadership moment. And it wasn't like I said, I think I want to be a leader. It was I found something that just I could not live with myself without addressing. And that's what really brought out that, that sort of leadership ability. Right. At this conference, there's been a lot of talk about purpose. And it sounds like at a very young age, you found your purpose and you have been living it for the years since then. It's not, what you shared spoke a good deal to courage. I can imagine a 14-year-old girl I said, of color um, having the, the chutzpah, we would say in Yiddish, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. the, the courage to, of your convictions and to stand up for yourself and for others. Yes. Are there recent examples of that thread being pulled through through your life? Oh, I would say most definitely I can give many, many examples, but I would just say one that's probably most recent and relevant to today. The, and, and mind you, at the time when I was 14, I didn't think it was courageous. I didn't think it was remarkable. I didn't think it, there was anything. It was just, this is what had to be done. And I remember very clearly, because I'm a scrapbooker and I've saved all the newspaper clippings and everything in my scrapbook that I actually went to the University of Pennsylvania for my interview with five scrapbooks mm -hmm. and almost was accepted <laughs> on the spot. So, um, the, but, but at the time I didn't, feel it was courageous or bold or it wasn't until reporters started wanting to talk with me and understand what happened that I realized, wow, this, is, this is, isn't unusual. This is a little aberrant from typical behavior, but for me it was, it was typically, you know, I mean, it was how I felt and it was, I was driven. So I would say something more recent um, um, in our health system is, at Henry Ford Health System, is the collection of race, ethnicity, and primary language. Now mind you, we're in the city of Detroit. Um, kind of where there have been significant racial tensions over the last 50 years, and they still exist, um, although I, I'd say improved, but still exist. So the asking frontline uh, team members to collect race, ethnicity, and primary language data was a bit disturbing. Uh, people felt, why should we have to do that? Uh, you know, we're all part of the human race. Um, it's very disruptive to when you're collecting information about what the patient is coming in for to start asking personal information about their race and ethnicity. So um, I felt this is something that needed to be done for many, many reasons because how are we going to care for a population that we truly don't know what, um, who's represented in that population that we care for. So the, uh, it, it came a moment in time when 
Um, and this is where mentorship and, and, and leadership of others around you is so important. When it came to the collection of that data within our health system, of course, there are a lot of priorities and front desk redesign, very many important things, and they're all very, very important. So it was sort of considered that, you know, the, 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 this is kind of disruptive and there's going to be a lot of pushback uh, among the, the thousands of um, registration clerks that would have to collect this. Why do we want to just be so disturbing and so disruptive? But yet, you know, it was felt that, you know, maybe somewhat necessary, but we're working on more important things now, like redesigning our front desk, which is very important, and collecting financial information, which is very important. So I, I'm not uh, minimizing any of those, but I felt like SS was important too. So going before our, our leadership, I had to make the plea with data, statistics, the importance of it. And um, that was another one of those moments where um, Nancy Schlichting, my CEO at the time, when she heard the arguments how we had so many other priorities and maybe we should just put this on the back burner. Not that it, we weren't going to do it, we just put it on the back burner. And Nancy Schlichting came forth and said, no, this is a priority. We must move forward on this now. We did. So that was, I'd say, another one of those times when it wasn't the popular thing to do. Um, it wasn't um, something that was an easy lift. We had a lot of data, a lot of research, so there was all the support yet understanding that we're in a very complex organization with a lot of complex challenges, and this might be too disruptive. Mm -hmm. However, it took courage on my senior leader's part, Nancy Schlichting, to stand behind what she knew was scientifically sound, and um, so that's another one of those examples. It wasn't like, um, I didn't feel that it was a courageous move from my standpoint, I felt like it was a necessary move, but I had others around me that were courageous in terms of supporting the effort. What I hear in that story is your persistence. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> you know, my, Nancy Schlichting, my former CEO, described me um, in, in, in two words over the, over the 10 years that we worked very closely together. And one was, she, she said, uh, uh, relentless. Yeah, persistent. That was <laughs> relentless. And I was yeah. like, I hope this is a compliment. Yeah. And the other word was disruptive. Okay. It's very interesting because I would say that has probably been a pattern mm -hmm. in my life, uh, very respectfully mm -hmm. disruptive, mm -hmm. but that's what the YWCA that's situation was. That was very disruptive, the collection of race, ethnicity, primary language. All throughout um, uh, my career, I mean, there are many, many examples that I can state that were disruptive, but yet they seemed, doors seemed to open, um, goals seemed to be achieved. So, of course, that gave me more energy to continue the journey. Sure, you're going forward. Let me ask you about joy. Uh, again, at this conference, we're hearing about joy in work. How are you promoting at Henry Ford this construct? When people seem, I, my, my own experience of frontline doctors are they are so besieged, whether it's from EMR, um, quality measure that are inconsistent and cost them many of them. How do you? Maintain a focus on joy, especially primary care jobs. Right. I think that's that that's so key. And my role now is primarily administrative. I'm not currently mm -hmm. a practice mm -hmm. emergency medicine for 20 years. So, but that question is so key and so important. And I'm so delighted that that's joy, happiness are coming to the mm -hmm. forefront. Uh, relationships, trust, all those things that we considered as healthcare professionals soft things. Right. And the hard things were the the data and the um, 
the quality scores and the, and, the, and the star ratings, those are the hard things. But the soft things like kindness and joy and happiness and relationships, those are always considered the soft things. So even in my role in community, many of my colleagues would say, oh, Wisdom, you're over there, you know, kind of shaking hands, singing Kumbaya, mm -hmm. you know? And I said, no, we are really taking a scientific approach to a lot of this. So let me give you a couple of examples of how joy is so important in bringing your whole self to work, which I talk about a lot. I lead our community benefit effort with, with, with our legal team and, and um, lawyers and auditors, that sort of thing. Community benefit is one way that we have to show that we're giving back to the community in order to retain, maintain our 501c3 tax-exempt status. So it's very, very important from an IRS standpoint. But at Henry Ford, we don't want to do it just because the IRS is requiring us to do it. We want to do it because that's our values. It's grounded. That actually just gives us lift. It gives us more justification for the naysayers. But it's something that we already that, that, that we're wired to do. So it became very clear to me that a lot of our team members, particularly our physicians, who were doing fabulous work out in the community, speaking at their churches, speaking at Kiwanis clubs, doing all kinds of wonderful things with their volunteer with their spare time and yet that could count as community benefit but they didn't realize that. Mm. So if I ask my typical you know frontline doc what's community benefit they're like I don't, I don't know I really don't know. I said do you realize that when you're out there doing giving these speeches and, and, and um, that we can actually count your time toward that IRS requirement? They didn't realize that. So got a little frustrated and I remember very clearly writing in one of my team members performance things that we have to do something about this. Um, you know, we have to do your work counts because we have to help people understand their work counts when they do it in the community and their work counts when it counts twice because it counts for the IRS. So lo and behold, that brainchild sort of evolved into a whole campaign around community benefit. So we took the, um, uh, is why your work counts, YWC, my husband came up with the A because I was frustrated <laughs> in the kitchen. We're cooking, and I'm saying, he said, you know, you need something for the A, and then it'll be YWC. I'm like, YWC, oh my gosh. So it was Your Work Counts again. Then we took the soundtrack to the YMCA, the Village People from 78. Right, I remember. We took that soundtrack, we repurposed, we got permission, of course, legal permission to do this. We modified all the words, but we used the same soundtrack. We gathered about 40 people across the system, and we had them choreographed, singing, doing cards, and we developed a whole video around Your Work Counts Again, we call YWCA. Mm -hmm. So we had a blast. The uh, video is available on YouTube. If you just Google Henry Ford Health System, Your Work Counts Again, you'll see the whole 10-minute video. And so many people that, we had 40 people that were part of that, all volunteer, and they would work probably six to eight hours after hours per week, per week on end, so we finished this video. You know, people are still, we finished that probably four years ago, people are still coming up to me now saying, we're ready, we want to sing, we want to, well, these are VPs, these are people that are our valet drivers, able to bring this very cross-section of people at different levels of the organization. They loved it, it brought them joy. You really tapped into something. Big time. It, well, and you know what? After hearing some of the lectures here today, the presentations, keynotes, I am going to operationalize this other idea that I've had for a while in terms of 
uh, of really how to bring more joy to the workplace, how to bring more happiness to the workplace. And I don't think it's, it's, it's rocket science. I don't think it's that heavy a lift because people want to bring themselves to work fully. And so I envision more around music, more around sort of um, music therapy, but, but for the employees, for employees and engage them in a way that they'll enjoy coming to work. And of course the spillover, the halo effect of all of this is the patients will benefit. The patients will be joyful. And now we have data that shows that. Yes. We have that data. Exactly. So very excited. But we sort of tripped on to that. It wasn't anything that we knew about data. We knew it was just I was frustrated because my doctors who were probably putting thousands of hours, we have twelve hundred doctors part of the medical group and, and others that are um, in, in private practice. Twelve hundred docs are probably putting, I don't know, twenty thousand hours of their time easily into the community and none of that was documented. So it was out of frustration. That's, so I encourage people, what disturbs you? What makes you mad? You know, what upsets you? Because oftentimes that's where you can discover your purpose that, and that gives you the energy. So guess what? I was very motivated to get this thing going because it was going to help our community benefit effort. It will help the community. It will help the docs. I mean, it was win, just a win-win. Exactly. Great. Exactly. Great. Well, thank you for sharing, Dr. Wisdom. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me.